We're in part three of our series, Marriage, Don't Believe the Lies, and no marriage series would be complete without at least a mention about gender differences when it comes to marriage, the differences between men and women. Now, I realize that this topic is kind of a taboo subject and, and you know, society today wants to tell us that there's no difference and there's no roles and all that stuff. And that's not really a battle I'm trying to fight here today, okay? That's not our subject. So I'm not going to speak in general terms. I'm going to speak specifically about the Mesa household and some of the gender differences that we can see here between the men and the women. Because in this household, we got two of each. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to walk into this house and see there are certainly differences between how the men and the women relate, specifically when it comes to the area of our words. Yes, the stuff that comes out of our mouth. And I'm not just talking about the quantity of our words, although for sure there's a difference there. I remember one time reading a statistic that said the average woman speaks twice as many words than the average man. And I remember reading that and thinking to myself, in this house, in the Mesa household, ain't no such thing as average women. Our women are above average and they, they for sure more than meet that criteria. But I'm not just talking about the quantity. I'm also talking about the meaning of words, because what I noticed is that words mean different things to the males in this house versus the females. Like, for example, the expression five minutes, as in, in context of I'll be ready in five minutes. That expression, what I noticed, doesn't mean the same thing to everyone in this house. To some people, five minutes is a unit of time measured by seconds and minutes. To other people, it's more of a abstract concept, okay? Having something to do between now and the second coming of Christ. That's what five minutes means. Another word that we don't necessarily define the same is literally, <laughs> which is kind of ironic because literally seems like kind of the easiest word to define because what it means is literally. But anyway, in this house, you'll hear from, you know, from different people, you might hear the expression that my heart literally broke when I heard that story. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, your heart is literally breaking. Oh my goodness, this is a serious issue. Or I'll hear things like, dad, it's literally freezing in this house. It's 65 degrees, it's literally freezing. And I'm thinking to myself, these people don't know what the word literally means because they're actually using it in the exact opposite way of what it literally means. We define words differently. Not only we differ when it comes to our words in quantity, in meaning, but also when it comes to purpose and why we choose to use words in the first place. Now, what, what I've learned along the way is that the women in this house, again, I'm speaking about the women in this house. You can apply it to, to your life or not. But in this house, the women speak in order to think, in order to process life. They process by thinking. So for a woman to kind of think through uh, her day or, 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 again, the women in this house I'm talking about, they, they speak out loud and they use a lot of words. The men in this house, okay, the exact opposite. In order to think, there cannot be any speaking, okay? And if you're, if, if, if you're at home and you're sitting there thinking, yes, the men in my life are the same way, this answers the question of sometimes you say to your husband, what were you thinking when you said that? Well, the answer is if he's like me, he wasn't thinking, okay? That's kind of the point. It's either he's thinking or he's speaking, but he's generally not doing both. And you can see this so clearly when I'm in the car alone with either my son or my daughter. I'm in the car alone with my son and we can literally, okay, but in the literal way, okay, literally spend a 30 minute car ride together 
and say nothing to one another. We can go the entire time and maybe, okay, at most you'll hear like a, you hot? No, that's fine. You cold? That, that could be the extent of our conversation and we're both happy as clams, happiest as can possibly be. When I pick up my daughter from school, exact opposite. And there are several times where I'll pick her up and I pick her up after like she finishes school and I finish the work days so then I go pick her up. And then, you know, so at the end of the day, you know, your mind is thinking about different things. And again, the mind thinking and the mouth speaking are not in conjunction with one another. I need this to be quiet to, for this to work. So she's talking and she's telling me about her day. And, and, and I start going into my, what I call word conservation mode. Okay. You conserve energy. You conserve water. I conserve words. Okay. I feel like we have to be a good steward. God has given us a limited number of them. We should be very conservative with how we use our words. So I go into word conservation mode, which means I just end up not knowingly subconsciously saying, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And just kind of one word or even one syllable answers. And then she, one time, she's probably like, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old, something like that at a time. And she goes, dad, are you in one of those word conservation modes? And I tried to explain to her, you know, like, you know, sometimes daddy has things on his mind and sometimes, you know, I'm thinking. And her response, okay, her response after I explained this to her, her response was, ooh, you got a whole sentence out. Good for you, dad. And I'm thinking to myself, good luck to this lady's husband, okay? For all you eligible bachelors out there, good luck, okay? But anyway, the bottom line is, we use words differently in this house, okay? Back to my wife. Even though my wife and I use words very differently, whether it's quantity, whether it's meaning, whether it's purpose, there's a truth that I need to convey when it comes to the words that she uses, even though I make fun and you know we joke and we laugh, the truth of the matter is, I wouldn't be who I am today without her words. I literally wouldn't be who I am without the words that she speaks to me, without the encouragement that she gives me when I'm discouraged, without the support she gives me when I'm weak, without the grace that she, so, she shows me when I mess up and I do something dumb once again. I truly believe that Marianne's words make me who I am today. And it's not just me that says it. The writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, said it this way. He said in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And that gets us to today's lie when it comes to marriage. Now, if you're just tuning into this series for the first time, we're talking about four of the most common lies that I see today that the devil is giving us to ruin our marriages and ruin our homes and ruin our families. Because what we talked about throughout this series is that a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. Okay. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. So if you sitting there listening to me today believed, like if I told you, you just lost your job, or I told you that you just won the lottery. If I'm able to convince you whether or not it's true or not true, doesn't matter. But if you are convinced it's true, if you believe the lie, that will impact your behavior. Okay, if I told you right now you lost your job, you'd probably turn this thing off and you go look for a job. If I told you right now you won the lottery, you may go send an email to your boss and give him a piece of your mind. Your behavior is impacted by whether or not you believe the lie. Well, that's what the devil does to us today in marriage. He doesn't tell us we're making bad choices. He doesn't tell us we're ruining our lives. What he does is he gives us a lie. And if he can convince us that this lie is true, 
Then it becomes, he becomes a puppeteer, okay? And he's manipulating us and controlling us through the lies. So the first lie that we looked at in week one of this series was this. I married the wrong person. I married the wrong person. And this is, like I said, this is based on our consumeristic view of life. That we think if we order something from Amazon and it's not what we want, we just send it back. So I got the wrong shoe, send it back. I got uh, the wrong size sweater, send it back. I got the wrong husband. I picked up the wrong wife. My bad, my mistake. Let me just go ahead and send it back. It's not a big deal. Just, you know what? I got the wrong one. And you know what? I just like to exchange it for a new one. Or you know what? I'm thinking I don't need this product at all anymore. And we said this is a very immature, childlike way of viewing life. Marriages that work are not based on some kind of magical fairy tale ending. They're based on hard work, commitment, and a maturity more than anything else. Okay, so that was week one. I married the wrong person. The second lie that we looked at last week was it's all his fault or it's all her fault. Okay, and this is when we think that all the problems in our marriage are because of him or because of her. And they bring the worst out of me and they cause all these problems. And what we talked about last week, I said, I've come to the conclusion there's no such thing as marriage problems. There's no such thing as marriage problems. What there is, is people with problems end up getting married. And that marriage isn't the cause of those problems. What marriage simply does is expose them. But what we talked about last week was that what's in you will eventually come out of you regardless of who's with you. What's in you will eventually come out of you regardless of who's with you. You came into marriage with stuff and your spouse, like I said, didn't create it. He or she just simply exposed it. And usually the answer is more in the mirror than it is out the window. So what we talked about last week is we talked about how to guard our hearts, that verse from Proverbs, because what we saw is that my ability to feel whether loved or respected, like whatever it is that, that we're lacking, we feel like we're lacking in our marriage. My ability to feel that is based just as much on the condition of my heart as it is on the behavior and words of my spouse. So ladies, your ability to feel love from your husband is based on you just as much as it's based on him. I'm not saying more or less, but I'm saying there's two components. Men, your ability to feel respected and admired is just as much based on you and what you came in with as it is on your spouse and their words or their behavior. Those are the first two lies. You can catch up on those um, on our YouTube page. Now, the third lie that we're going to talk about today is based on what I said at the beginning about how my wife's words make me who I am. And today's lie is a little bit different based on gender, meaning it's a lie for the men and a lie for the women. It's not exactly the same lie, but the root of them is the same. And you'll see what I mean in a second. The third lie that we're talking about today is this. For the ladies, it's he's not good enough. For the men, it's, a, it's I'm not good enough. So it's he's not good enough or I'm not good enough. Now, let me start here by saying that I, I will acknowledge that at times what I'm saying right here about the wife thinking he's not good enough or the husband thinking I'm not good enough, sometimes it's the opposite for sure. And sometimes it's the wife saying she's not good enough or the wife, you know, the husband saying she's not good enough or the wife saying I'm not good enough. I acknowledge that. But I'm simply talking, I'm not talking about everything that exists out there. I'm just talking about what I see. And what I see much, much, much more common is this, which is the wife starts to believe, gets the thought in her head of, you know what? My, hu my husband's not, not good enough. He's, he's, he's not like my sister's husband. He's not spiritual enough. His job isn't good enough. He's not sensitive enough. He doesn't care enough. Like the wife starts to get thoughts in her head that her husband is lacking in some way. 
And once she starts to believe that, then it starts to come out in her words. And what we saw a minute ago is, again, she's got a lot more words than him. And she's much better with those words. So eventually, it's just a matter of time before he starts believing it. He starts thinking, you know what? I'm not spiritual enough. I guess I'm not a good enough leader. I guess I'll never be a good enough dad. I guess, you know what? I don't provide well enough for this family. Before you know it, the devil has this couple in the palm of his hand. And like I said, he can manipulate and control them as much as he wants. Because once she stops believing in him, then it's just a matter of time before he stops believing in himself and then the whole thing goes to ruin from there. And again, like I said, I, I, it could be the opposite of this, okay? And it also, the sequence could be the opposite. It could be the starting point is that he starts to feel I'm not good enough and then that leads her to the belief that he's not good enough, okay? It could start this way. It's kind of like the chicken or the egg. So I'm not here to talk about where it starts or it's her fault or it's his fault. I'm not, I'm not here to talk about that. What I'm talking about is the lie that I'm trying to address today is the situation where you have a wife thinking to herself, he's not good enough. And at the same time, you have a husband thinking to himself, I'm not good enough. She's lacking confidence in him. He's lacking confidence in himself. And the point is once you get to that point, it's a steep spiral downhill from there. As it says in Proverbs chapter 23, verse seven, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. A man who doesn't believe in himself, okay? A woman who doesn't believe in her husband, it's a dangerous situation. Now, the reason why this is especially dangerous, ladies, I wanna, I wanna fill you in on a little secret right here. And I need all the men to kind of stop listening for a second right here, okay? Just go la, 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 close your ears for a second because I'm gonna tell the ladies a secret. And I know I'm kind of like breaking the guy code for what I'm about to do, okay? Because we guys, we don't like the ladies to know this about us. To be honest, oftentimes we don't even know this about ourselves, but I'm gonna fill you in on a little secret about what it means, about what it takes to make your husband great. Yes, what it takes for your husband, because I believe that your husband can be great, but it takes something from your end to get him there, and I'm gonna share that secret with you, and you will thank me. Okay, this is one of those like, have a new husband by Thursday kind of a concepts, and if you stick with this, I promise you, maybe not by Thursday, okay, that might be a little aggressive, okay, but I promise you, you will thank me for this. Now, there'll be some people out there who will not thank me for what I'm about to say. And those are the people, those are the wives who really, if you're honest, don't really want your husband to improve. And, and we got to be honest, there's some out there who are, who are that way. Because you kind of like being the victim. You kind of like being the martyr. You kind of like having the upper hand. And the upper hand is that, you know what? He's bad and I'm good. He's not good enough for me and it makes me feel good. And I don't necessarily want to fix the situation. I don't want him to be great. I'd rather kind of dig my heels in and I want to be right more than I want to be fixed or fix the situation. If that's you, you will not thank me for what I'm about to say. In fact, you'll probably be pretty angry at me, but you know what? There's nothing really I can do about that. If that's you, I pray for you. But for those, like I said, who want to see their husband be successful, who want their husband to thrive, to be that spiritual leader, to be proactive, to be great, to be someone they can admire and look up to, for those who want that, I wanna fill you in on a little secret. And the secret is this. The secret to your husband's greatness is your belief in him. The secret to your husband's greatness is your belief in him. You, ladies, wives, you have the power, specifically with your words, to lift, to build, also to tear down and to destroy. 
Because your husband's belief in himself, your husband's belief in himself starts and ends with your belief in him. Now, there's some wives out there, some wives out there who some of the stuff I see, I, sh I, I cringe. Some wives out there, I believe they think it is their God-given duty to keep their husbands humble. And they may not say it in those words, but their actions say it. They feel like it's their job to remind him of every mistake he's ever made and to make sure that he knows about every single one of them and he never forgets them. And I'm horrified by some of the stuff that I hear. Let me tell you some of the things I hear. I hear things like, yeah, I can't go out this night because I can't go out this night because I can't leave the kids with my husband. He can't take care of them on his own. They'll say that in front of him. Like he's sitting right there and yeah, obviously he's not capable to do it. I'll hear things like, yeah, you know, the house is such a mess because my husband's too cheap or too lazy to fix it. In front of the guy, they'll say that. Even if it's not in front of him, it doesn't make it any better, but it's especially horrifying in front of the guy. I'll hear things like the guy will say, you know what, you know, have you ever thought of this in the church or you give this an idea, a try, and just say something like, that doesn't make any sense. Would you come up with that? And I'm just, I'm cringing. I'm cringing because ladies, I'm telling you, you don't realize the damage you are doing. You don't realize the damage you are doing to your husband when you refuse to believe in him. Because men, again, this is the part that we don't like to admit. And like I said, we're not even fully aware of because most of us aren't aware of these things on the inside. We have very fragile egos. We have very fragile egos. And that applies to everyone. Okay, that applies to all the guys. All of us are constantly, again, subconsciously seeking approval, trying to feel like we did a good job. We are successful. We are good at this. No matter how successful your man may be, no matter how much he thrives at work or, or, or whatever he's done in life, no matter how confident he comes across, I'm telling you, on the inside, he's a little boy who thinks of himself or wants to be more than anything else, a hero for his woman. That's the way guys are. Okay, blame it on Hollywood, blame it on movies. I don't know what it is, but every guy deep inside, this knight in shining armor, every one of us wants to be a hero. I remember for me personally, okay, it was Die Hard. You remember the movie Die Hard with Bruce Willis where he was in the building and the terrorists came in and he snuck through the ducks and he, you know, took down the terrorists and, you know, he had a cool catchphrases and he took them down one by one and he was barefoot and then he came back for the lady and he saves her and he sweeps her off her feet. I, if I'm honest... I'm always thinking to myself, like, I want to be like that. And I even remember growing up, I remember I went to, to, to Catholic school. And I remember at times when I was like young, probably fourth grade, fifth grade, we'd be in assemblies, okay? And the, the teacher talking or the principal talking, I don't know who's talking, and I'm zoned out. And what I'm thinking to myself is, if a terrorist came in here, yeah, I'd go through that duct and I would sneak under this. And then I would go and I would swoop down to save and fill in the, the, the blank of the girl, the girl that, you know, that, you know, wasn't necessarily Marianne, but let's just say Marianne. And I would swoop down to save Marianne and sweep her. And this is the way my mind would think because every guy, that's how we think. We always think of ourselves like a hero. That's what we want to be on the inside. But you know what? In every hero movie, in every hero movie, there's never a time I play out the scenario in my mind that I swoop back in, I save the girl, and she says to me, why did you do it that way? Why did you use that duck, not that one? Why this didn't, uh, you didn't do it? Why, why are you so late? Or how come you didn't call? Like that never happens in the movie. But when that happens to us in real life, I'm telling you, the more we hear that criticism and that lack of belief, the more we as men hear, you're not a hero. You're not someone that I believe in. 
You're not anything great. And the problem is with men, like I said in the beginning, y'all are better with words, women. The problem is we start to believe it. And I'm telling you, you don't want your husband to believe he's not your hero. You don't want that. Again, if you, don't, if you just want to be right and you want to stick it to him, yeah, that's what you want. But if you want a successful, thriving home, you don't want your husband to believe that he's not your hero because you know what? The more you tell us that we're not heroes, the more we believe it. And then we start to think of ourselves, you know what? Why should I act like a hero? I'm not a hero. Maybe, maybe I'm the sidekick in the movie. You know what I mean? Or maybe I'm just like, you know, bystander number three, you know, an extra in, in, in the story or something like that. We all want to be a hero. But the bottom line is if our wives don't see us that way, then we start to think, well, maybe I'm not. I'm going to give you two verses from the book of Proverbs that kind of give you the two extremes of how ladies' words affect us. Proverbs 31, 26, a virtuous wife, a virtuous wife opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. A virtuous wife, kindness, wisdom, building, and that, now I'll show you the opposite. Proverbs 27, 15, a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Man, gotta love the expressions of the Bible, okay? Very vivid. A, a, a quarrelsome wife is like a, a dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. No explanation needed. No, no, no commentary, okay? Says it right there. Bottom line, your words, when you believe in us, that's what gives us our ability to be great. And that's what we need from our wives. Now, let me kind of go to those who are sitting there and kind of cringing. I am not saying, I am not saying, wives, that you cannot challenge your husbands. I'm not saying you cannot question them. I'm not saying you cannot correct them. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is you need to believe in them. They need to know that you're in their corner. They need to know that when they come home, when they do something, that you are there, like you're their cheerleader. You're on their side versus you're someone who's looking down on them. They need to know that when you, they come home, that you're there expecting them to come home and expecting them to be great and looking for them to be great versus with a look like this of what'd you do today and what'd you mess up today? And I'm telling you, that little bit of belief can do wonders. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, easy for you to say, you don't know my husband. You don't know how lazy he is. You don't know how incompetent he is. You don't know the dumb ideas that he says over and over and over. And I, and I get that. I get that, that, that everyone has a story and every situation is different. And I'm not trying to minimize your story, but I just need you to realize two things. Okay, if, you're, if that's how you're sitting there, realize two things. Number one, with all due respect, you're no walk in the park either. Okay, you got your flaws. You got your situation. We talked about this last week. What's in you will come out of you regardless of who's with you. So before you say it's all your husband's fault, go back and listen to last week because you have some issues too. Okay, it's not just him. So we got to be fair right here and say, yes, he's not perfect, but who is perfect? Number two thing you need to realize is that yes, he's not perfect, but he is yours. Yes, he's yours. You chose him. You're the one who went to the altar with him. And you're the one who said, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. So in the same way that you chose him to be your husband, ladies, listen carefully. You can make a choice today. And that choice is to make him a better husband, a better man, a better father. And the way that you do that is by believing in him. Your words have the power 
Your words have the power to make him better or worse. I'm not saying he's perfect, but he's also not the worst. He's somewhere in between 100 and zero. He's somewhere in there. And your words will either lift him up a few points or take care, tear him down a few points. And if you consistently lift him up, lift him up, lift him up, then you can take a husband who's here and you can build him up to here. But by the same token, and I see this all the time, I see wives with husbands who are here and their words gradually take him down to a lower place. Because Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24 says it this way, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. And that's, by the way, that's not just true in marriage. Okay, these, this ver- these verse from Proverbs, this verse is not just about marriage. That's in life. That pleasant words can lift us up and they can also tear us down. Now, here's what I want to do now. I want to look at a passage that gives us some marriage advice. And it's a passage not written about marriage. It's written about love. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And again, it's not written exclusively to marriage, but I believe if we take this, because obviously marriage and love are connected, if we take this and apply it specifically to our marriages, I believe we can transform them. And there's specifically, there's one verse that I'm going to get to that gives us some strange advice. And I want to see how we can apply that to our marriage. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. And it says this. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. So basically what St. Paul is saying, he's giving all these different attributes and qualities of love, patient, kind, whatever, whatever. And this last one here, it says, thinks no evil. In some translations, thinks no evil can be translated as keeps no record of wrong. Okay, love keeps no record of long. And that's unfortunate for some of us because for some of us, keeping a record of law of wrongs is like a talent that we have, okay? And it's something that we are very good at. It's like a gift from God. We can remember everything everyone has ever done, but that is saying love is the opposite of that, okay? It goes on, verse six. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And then here's the verse. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Again, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Here's my question for you. Is that good advice? Is that good advice? Is it good advice that love, marriage, is about bearing all things, believing all things, enduring all things, and hoping all things? Like your husband, again, I'm speaking specifically to the wives here, but it, it goes both ways right here. Okay. So again, this is not just about like about marriage. This is about, you know, about life. Okay. And love your husband comes home and he's not in a talkative mood and your husband, you know, is just kind of, you know, in outer space. And this verse says you should bear all things. Your husband sits around on the couch while you're doing the dishes. This says you should hope all things. Your husband, um, you know, forgot your anniversary or forgot whatever it is, or your husband comes home late or your husband didn't fix the sink or whatever it may be. And this verse says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Is that good advice? Yes or no. Now, we already talked about this before last week, but again, I'll kind of caveat it because anytime this marriage, you got to have all the caveats. There are extreme situations where I'm, this is not applicable. So again, you're in an abusive situation. Your life is being threatened. Your husband just, your husband or your wife is stealing your money and has a separate bank. All those extreme situations, yes, does not apply. Go seek professional help as soon as possible. 
But I'm talking about the 98% that don't fall into that category, okay? So again, so don't, don't, don't try to trip this up right here. Is it good advice to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, because the world will tell you the opposite. The world will tell you, you don't need to take that. And don't you dare take that, and you should fight back. That's what the world will tell you. St. Paul says the opposite. Is it good advice, yes or no? Two thoughts there. Number one, as I said a minute ago, First of all, this does not just apply to wives and marriage. This applies to everyone in the context of love. So the same advice is not just me saying wives do this, wives do this, why husbands do this, sisters do this, brothers do this, parents do this, coworkers do this, Christians do this. This is Christian advice, not just wife advice. So please, I'm applying it specifically because our series is about marriage and our lie today is something that the devil messes with the wives' mind, but it's not just for that. Secondly, and, and, and just as importantly right here, listen carefully to this. You say to yourself, I don't have to bear. I don't have to believe. I don't have to hope. I don't have to endure. And I say to you, you're right. You don't have to. But my focus in this message here today is not on assigning blame. My focus is on solving the problem and getting you to a better marriage. That's why I said earlier, if you're not interested in getting to a better marriage, if you're more focused on who's right and who's wrong and it's his fault or church fault, then yeah, you're not going to like anything I have to say. But I believe truly that our focus here today, if our focus is on solving the problem, I believe this one verse, this one verse can change almost any marriage. And I really believe that from the bottom of my heart, literally from the bottom of my heart, literally the literal bottom of my heart, I believe that so much. And the reason why is this. In every relationship, there's always a gap. The gap between expectation and behavior. What I mean by that is you come into every relationship, and again, we're talking specifically marriage, with certain expectations, and then there are whether the, 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 the behavior matches the expectation, but it never actually does. There's always a gap, okay? The expectation of you said you'd be home by six. The expectation of you said you would handle that. Expectation of you said you wouldn't judge me. You said you wouldn't get angry. You said you'd always be there. There's an expectation and then there's a behavior. And there's always a gap between those two. And now when the gap exists, you have a choice. Again, men and women, but specifically I'm talking about wives right here. You have a choice of what you use to fill that gap. There's a gap between expectation and behavior. You have a choice of what you put in that gap to close the hole. And these are your two options. Either believe the best or assume the worst. Believe the best or assume the worst. Now, when it comes to marriage and believing the best or assuming the worst, I know what I want from my spouse. And I know what I want from everyone else around me. I know that I, I appreciate it when others believe the best versus assume the worst. But the question is, golden rule, are you doing unto others what you want others to do unto you? So for example, Again, specifically to the wives, but it goes across the board. Where does your mind go when you get a text from your husband that says, I'll be home late after work? Where does your mind go? Does your mind race towards, well, you know what? You must be really busy today. Or does your mind, like, let's be honest. Does your mind naturally go to irresponsible, inconsiderate, doesn't care? Like, where does your mind go? Be honest. Where does your mind go when your husband comes home and he's not in a talkative mood? Does your mind go naturally to, you know, he must have a lot on his plate. He must be really stressed out. That's believing the best. Or does your mind naturally go to, he doesn't care. I knew he doesn't care. He, he's just into himself. He's self-absorbed. 
regardless of what the truth is. I'm saying before you even say anything, where does your mind naturally go? You find out that your husband buys, you know, this. He goes on Amazon and buys whatever it may be. Does your mind naturally go to, you know what? He must have really needed that. That must be something he really needs. Or does it go to, he's so bad with money. He's so careless. He's so irresponsible. Ladies, be honest. We all put something in that gap. What do you naturally, what is your natural inclination when the expectation, the behavior doesn't match the expectation? Me personally, I'll be honest. I'll do like a confession in front of everyone right here. I think I'm a pretty good guy. I think I'm a pretty good dad, try my best to be a good husband. I think I'm pretty good. But I am 100% convinced, 1,000% convinced, literally, that I am much better because of my wife and because specifically of her belief in me. I know that my wife, I'm going to use this word intentionally, my wife is delusional when it comes to how great I am. I know that, and I like it. My wife thinks I can walk on water. My wife looks at me as if I can do no wrong. My wife believes in me to a fault. And I am telling you, I am telling you, I have done a hundred dumb things, either that I've done or that I've said or forgotten to do or forgotten to say. And every single time, my wife always is quick to make an excuse for me, always is quick to believe in me, always quick to give me a second chance, always quick to say, you know what? He didn't mean, she's always doing that. And I'm telling you, I'm confessing in front of you, that belief in me drives me. Her belief in me drives me to be better. Because I'll tell you another secret, ladies, that you may not know about your husband, is that your husband, no matter what he says or what he does, your husband, deep inside, the last thing he wants is to disappoint you. The last thing he wants is to be a failure in your eyes. And if you look at him that way and you convince him that he's nothing but a failure, you are doing such damage to your own best interests and to your own marriage. Because when you assume the worst, When you assume the worst, what you communicate is you're not good enough. You will never succeed. You are a failure. And you know what? Like I said, we'll start to believe it. And the thing about men, like let's be honest, men, we know this. We don't like to play a game if we don't think we can win. Once we think like, you know what? I've lost the game. I'm going to take my ball and go home. And that's what happens, unfortunately, in many marriages. And I know what the wife is thinking right now. That's not my goal. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to discourage him. I'm trying to help him. I'm trying to improve him. And I get it. I get it. But I'm telling you that if you consistently assume the worst, you are doing tremendous damage to your own marriage. And in case you don't believe me, in case you think I'm biased, I want to give you some research on the subject. And then I want to bring in an expert on the subject, my wife, in just a minute. But first, let's go research. There's a book that I read several years ago called The One Thing You Need to Know by an author, an author named Marcus Buckingham. The One Thing You Need to Know. And it's not a marriage book at all. It's actually a book about leadership. And basically the premise is this, is he says in every area that you want to be successful, you must find, or the key to success is find the one thing that adds the most value, the one principle that you need to know to be successful. And he goes across many spectrums. And in it, he gives an illustration about marriage. Again, it's not a marriage book. But he gives an illustration about a study they did about what makes marriages happy. And apparently what they did is they took 100 couples and they followed them over a course of 10 plus years. And they were trying to determine what is the one thing that will lead to success, long-term success and happiness in marriage. And at the beginning, they hypothesized about a certain answer. 
And they based that hypothesis on what made marriages unhappy. And what they saw is that unhappy marriages were marriages where people didn't understand one another, their strengths, okay, their values, whatever it may be. Where people didn't understand each other, they tended to have unhappy marriages. So they assumed that the, the one thing for a marriage is that the more you understood your spouse, the more you knew them, the more likely you are to have success in your marriage. The results actually turned out the exact opposite. So much so that the author writes, the results were so deeply counterintuitive. The results were so deeply counterintuitive that initially most will have difficulty absorbing it. That's what they said, not me. They actually said that the successful couples are not the ones who had the most realistic view of each other, but in fact, the ones who had the most unrealistic view of each other. That doesn't make any sense. Here's what they did. They basically, they gave every one of these couples a test. Okay, they gave them many things, but one along the way, they gave them a test. And the test was like, you know, rate your, so it was like rate yourself on and then rate your spouse on. Okay, rate yourself on or rate your spouse. So it was like on kindness, on compassion, on affectionate, on patient, like all these good qualities and also some negative ones. And they said, rate yourself on and rate your spouse on. And what they discovered is that the happiest marriages were the ones where spouses consistently rated one another higher than that spouse rate rated themselves. So let me explain that. So the, the spouses where the marriages where the husband said, my wife is a this, where the wife said she's only a this and vice versa, where the husband said, hey, I'm really, this is my level of kindness, but the wife saw him in a much better light. Those were the marriages where they were the happiest. So basically what they wrote is love is a little bit blind. And the truth is, is that the more unrealistic view of your partner, somehow it made the marriages better. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Let me give you some quotes to help explain it. It says, in the happiest couples, the wife rated the husband more positively than he did on every single quality. That's an important point. Let me say that one again. The wife rated the husband more positively than he did on every single quality. For some reason, the wife in a highly rewarding relationship consistently credited her husband with qualities that he didn't think he had. Did you catch that? So the husband saying, I'm not that kind. She said, no, he's very kind. The husband thinking, I'm not that. And the, consistently, she viewed him higher than he viewed himself. The quote goes on. And so over time, my positive illusions create an upward spiral of love. My illusions give me conviction. My conviction leads to security. My security fosters intimacy and intimacy reinforces love. Yeah, the word they use, and this is research. This is not a Christian book. This is research. And they're saying illusion. They're saying is, yes, there are, there, there, when we think of our spouses in a certain way, that improves our marriage because it, when we think our husband is kind, then we will look for behavior to match that. And it drives the way we talk to them, the way we look at them. It drives how we treat them. And you're like, this is crazy. Well, let me ask you this. Is it crazy to look at your spouse as better than they actually are? Is it crazy? Do you remember when you were dating? Do you remember when you fell in love? Do you remember when he was the greatest thing and she was the greatest thing? Do you remember that? Because I think at that time, you were doing exactly this. At that time, he had no faults. He was the greatest person on the planet. No matter what anyone said, no matter what anyone told you, he was the greatest and you always made excuses. No, 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 he's not abrupt. No, 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 he's just, you know what? That's just his way. 
That's just how he's made. No, no, no. He's not irresponsible. No, 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 no. He's a free spirit. That's what you thought to yourself. And then people, he's not ugly. He's just got a unique look about him. You've been there. You've been in the place where you thought better than actually it was. One more quote from the book. It said, putting these conclusions together, this controlling insight can serve as the one thing, the one thing that you need to be successful. The one thing you need to know about happy marriage. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. Wives, the secret to your husband being great is your belief in him. And we need to get to the point where we, we have a choice. Believe the best, assume the worst. And I'm telling you, you are doing yourself a favor by choosing to believe the best. So when you're tempted to think, you know what? He's impatient. Challenge you. He's not impatient. He's focused. When you're tempted to think, he's insensitive. And I challenge you to think he's not insensitive. He's just being honest. I should appreciate the honesty. When you're tempted to think to yourself, you know what? He's bald. He's bald as an eagle. Think to yourself, no, no, no. It's just I, something I can rub for good luck when I need it. Something like that. Like, choose the most generous explanation and believe in it. That's the number one thing when it comes to marriage. Now, if you're still not convinced, you don't believe me, you don't believe the research, like I said, I'm gonna bring in an expert on the subject, which is my lovely wife, Marianne. She's going to join us right now to share her thoughts on the subject. Hey guys, so Abuna wanted me to share what I think the secret is to turning your husband into the man that you want him to become. And it's actually really simple. The secret is to believe in him and to genuinely show him that you believe in him. There is so much power to us believing in our husbands that it will actually change them. And I, I've seen it over and over again with my own eyes. Probably the most notable example is a good friend of mine from out of state who a long time ago, early on in their marriage, her husband did something foolish, which actually cost him his job. Do you know how she responded? I was shocked. She loved him. She honored him. She believed in him. And it wasn't forced. It came from her heart. She wasn't in La La Land. She didn't deny that he did something wrong. She was truthful, but she just chose not to focus on it. She chose to act selflessly. She chose also not to focus on the inconvenience that his mistake cost her. She didn't think about herself, which I thought was so awesome. Um, she focused on who her husband was at the core. She focused on his strengths and lifting him up for the things that he was doing right, for his relationship with God, whatever it was he was doing right at that time. And you know what happened to this couple? You know what happened to that man years after this incident? He ended up becoming a sought-after VP in his industry where different companies were literally fighting over him. He became such a strong father, such a strong leader, and an amazing husband to her, which she says, I don't know what I'd do without him. She depends on him every single day. He's a different man, and it's really because of her. It's because of her encouragement, and it's because of her belief in him. Uh, so we actually, as wives, have power to influence our husbands to become the men we want them to become. I've seen it the other way too, unfortunately, where wives are so critical of their husbands, they're putting them down. You know, they say things like, I have three kids, not two, and they treat their husband like their child. Uh, and 
unfortunately, the husband becomes that. They're writing their husband's story, and he becomes more and more of a child instead of this strong leader for her family that she so desires. So how does this work? Okay, so I'm going to give you just a couple of notes. First of all, it must be uh, genuine and sincere. It's not really the words that the husband needs, but it's our true belief in our heart. So if we truly in our hearts believe in them, uh, that's what has the power to change them. You might be thinking or saying, well, Marianne, that's easy for you to say. You're married to Abuna Anthony. And yes, Abuna Anthony is amazing, but every single one of our husbands are made in God's image. We are actually insulting God if we think that there's nothing good in our husband. He's 100% bad, 100% loser. That's, that is against how God made him. That's not true. He made him with gifts and talents. Every single person has something good about them. The trick is to be able to see it and to focus in on it and hone in on it. We actually at work, um, we talked about this a couple years ago. We did a conference on strength finders and the speaker was saying this very thing, but just related to work. He was saying, you know, there's all these different strengths, I think 31, and we had to take a test and find out what ours were. And I remember mine was so random. It was connection. That doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, it's not something that you could easily look at someone and say, oh, you're so good at yada, yada. But if we are smart and we're able to hone in on what our husbands really are good at and be thankful for that and believe in them and encourage them, it is going to make such a big difference. So, so that's the first part is to really be genuine about it. And the second tip I have for you is when there is something that you don't like about your husband, uh, don't dwell on it. Don't go down that rabbit hole. Okay. I remember early on in our marriage, probably about a year in or so, um, Abuna and I got into an argument over something I think it was related to organization. I don't, I honestly, I don't remember the details. It was so long ago. But what I do remember is he left. He had to go on a retreat. Uh, he was leading a retreat. And I just thought he's so unreasonable uh, because he wants me to be so organized, which is completely untrue, guys, uh, because he's actually very, very reasonable. <laughs> he lives with two teenagers and me. But uh, I, at that point, I got this thought, you know what? I think he has OCPD, which is this personality disorder where you're very rigid. Uh, so I looked it up. I just recently looked it up and I'm laughing at myself that I actually thought that because it's totally not true. But I spent a whole day and a half reading about it and convincing myself, poor Marianne, married to this rigid guy. And how am I going to live like this? And he came back from the retreat. He'd forgotten about the argument and I was in such a bad mood. And it led to this like big fight because I had spent a day and a half while he was on the retreat just dwelling on the negative things inside of him. And thank God I figured it out. Thank God I realized I'm being an idiot here. But many, many times we do that. We dwell on the negative and then it comes out in our marriage. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm not saying to not get professional help if you need professional help. But I'm just saying be very, very careful about this. When you diagnose your husband with something or when you think something is wrong with your husband, many times it's really just 
the devil taking on this rabbit hole that's going to end up hurting your husband and hurting yourself and hurting your family so much more than it will help. Um, the caveat to everything I'm saying, obviously, is do it uh, with wisdom. I'm not saying turn a blind eye when someone is uh, doing something blatantly wrong or I'm not saying enable toxic behavior. But I'm saying there is so much power in encouraging our husbands and supporting them and uh, lifting them up and focusing on their strengths and believing in them. So I guess my final key word for you to remember is believing in your husband will change them for the good. And if you think about it, uh, this is what Jesus does for us on a daily basis. He doesn't really focus on our sins. He actually sees us as already perfected. And because he sees me like that, it makes me want to act like that. So let's do that for our husbands as, as well and uh, help them write amazing stories that God has intended for them and for us. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, let's, ra let's wrap up right here by going to the gentlemen, the husbands in the room. And let me say this, guys, we got to be better. We got to be better. We got to help our wives. Like all this talk about wives believing in us, wives believing in us. We, don't even, we shouldn't even have to say this. The reason that I even have to preach this and say this is because we have dropped the ball in many ways. And we have either, the reason that people hate to hear this subject that wives cringe when they hear it, because we have either A, abused our power and abused by selfishness. And you know, I'm the man and I'm in charge. We either abuse our power or we do the, go to the opposite extreme by we relinquish it and we abdicate our role and we pretty much sit on the sidelines and say, not my responsibility. We go passive, which actually, if you go back to the very beginning of time, that was Adam's sin in the garden. Eve was deceived, but Adam, the sin of passivity. And he just, basically the whole world fell apart and Adam would nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be found. Gentlemen, we have to do better. We have to give our wives a reason to believe in us. Not just for me to say, believe in him, believe in him, believe in him, believe in him. He does whatever he wants, sits on the couch. We have to be better and believe in ourselves. Because let me tell you this, gentlemen, the day you were married, I hope you know this. Marriage is a sacrament. Marriage is an ordination, so to speak. You were ordained by God. You were given, think about the titles that are given to you. You are husband and you are father. And those two titles, if you look in the scriptures, are also used to apply to God himself. God himself is, a, is, is, is the title husband. God himself is the title father. So we are given a high, high, high calling. And specifically, the day you were married, you were anointed with oil, you were given a robe, okay? You were placed a crown on your head because you were ordained for three roles. And they are this. Husbands, you were ordained to be priest, prophet, and king. Priest, prophet, and king. Let me go through these real quick. Okay, priest doesn't mean that you need to be a theologian. Okay, and some, I can't be a priest and I don't know how to pray for two hours and I never read the whole Bible. Look, I'm not telling you need to give a Bible study in the book of Revelation every single night before bed. That's not what I'm saying. But as a priest, what I'm saying is your job, you ordained to shepherd your family, to guide them, to lead them, that you're the priest, you're the leader. It's your job to build them towards the kingdom, not just to build them a house, not just to lead them towards a, a college or grades, not just to, to, to put food on the table. Like you are a priest. And you are supposed to be leading them closer and closer to the kingdom of God. That's our role. And we have to pick up our role and do our best with it. Believe in ourselves. Number two, you're a prophet. And a prophet doesn't mean you see the future. What a prophet is, is the mouthpiece of God. And the prophets were the people who went around and said, when there was problems, we need to repent right here. We need to fix this. And prophets lead by example. So gentlemen, come on. We need to be the examples of purity in our household. 
not preaching it, but examples. We need to be the examples of modesty. We need to be the examples of love, of forgiveness, of prayer. Like we need to be the ones on the front lines. And I, I read a nice quote from, from, from President John F. Kennedy. He's talking about men. And he was saying, men, stop praying for easier lives. Start praying to be stronger men. And I love that quote. Stop praying for easier lives. Make this easier. No, pray to be stronger. Okay, that's what it means to be a prophet. And third is king. And we like that. Ah, I like the king. Look, we've, we've lost the meaning of the word king. King today is, is a completely different meaning than when, when God said about king, because God is our ultimate king. And king doesn't mean abuse of power. King means protection. Being a king doesn't mean you sit on your throne and people give you stuff. Being a king means you are out there caring for everybody else and you are protecting them. And you are sacrificing for them. We need to be the protectors of our wives. And when I say protector, I don't just mean protect their bodies from thieves and robbers and things like that and alarm system. I mean, we need to protect their hearts, protect their emotions. We need them to know that they are safe. And this applies to our kids too, if we're honest. We need there to be emotional security and safety in our house and in our arms. And gentlemen, come on. God ordained us for that. God gave us that high, high, high calling. And until we learn to pick that up, and until we learn to step into that, our wives are going to always struggle to believe in us. And it's not going to be their fault. It's going to be ours. Let me show you a verse from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, meaning your wives. Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. That's what it means to be a king. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. I know some people don't like this and the weaker vessel thing. That if, you don't, if you don't like the weaker vessel thing, you means you don't fully understand. It doesn't mean lower in any way. But what it's saying right here is, men, our job is to honor our wives. Our job is to sacrifice for them. Our job is to make sure like no one eats until, I'm sorry, we don't eat until everyone else is eaten. We don't buy a toy for ourselves until everyone else has gotten what they need. We don't look for, we don't go to sleep until everyone else is able to rest. Like our job is to honor, to sacrifice, to give ourselves and to make decisions with the good of everyone else first and then ourselves second. That's what it means to be king. It doesn't mean me. It means others first. And if we do that, gentlemen, I won't need to say to your wife, believe in him. I won't, no, it, it, no one will need to say anything, okay? It'll be natural. So there you have it. Our third lie He's not good enough. I'm not good enough. What I'm saying is I'm giving you advice that flies in the face of culture today because culture today will tell you, yes, he's not good enough. Give up on him. He's no good. Or you know what? Kind of the way to get him to be good is to tell him all his faults. Culture will tell you don't believe in him. And cult culture guys will tell us not to believe in ourselves. Culture tells us you're a bumbling idiot. You're a, a buffoon. You got no good come from you. That's what culture will tell us. And I'm telling you, exact opposite of what they're saying. And you are smart enough. You are smart enough when you're thinking to yourself, should I listen to what Father Anthony is telling me based on the scripture? Or should I listen to what culture is telling me? You are smart enough to realize that before you listen to a piece of advice, you should consider who is the one who's giving it. I've always said, taking marriage advice from society and culture is like taking swim lessons from a camel. Someone who has no track record, Someone who everything they've ever done, all society has done is destroy marriages. So you, please be smart. Before you listen to your girlfriend who's telling you your husband's no good, he's a deadbeat. Before you listen to her, look at her situation 
and see, is that a situation that you want? Because if you want to be in that person's situation, you follow their advice. But if you think to yourself, I don't want what she has, then why would I listen to her advice? Same thing with the blogs that I read or, 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 or my, what my sister or my brother. Or, think to yourself, do I want the latest, greatest fad advice from whatever talk show host or whatever, whatever it may be? Or do I want tried and true, tested advice from the scriptures that has lasted the test of time? If you want the latter, give it to you this way. Ladies, believe in your husband. Choose to believe the best versus assume the worst. You will do wonders for your marriage when you make that one simple decision that whenever there's a gap between expectation and behavior, I will choose to believe the best versus assume the worst. Yes, my husband is not perfect, but you know what? Like I said, he's yours. You chose him at the altar, and today you can make a choice to make him great, greater than he already is by the words that you use. Men, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. You were chosen by God. You were ordained by God. You were anointed with that oil. You were put on that priestly robe. You were given that crown in front of the altar. God said that you were ordained as husband and eventually as father. And I want you to know that even if you feel, if you, even if you don't feel like you can be great, even if you don't feel like you can be successful, I promise you, when you step into your God-given role, the grace of God will be with you and he will support you and help you to take your wife unto you and to be for her that priest, that prophet, and that king. And what I want to leave you all with is our job. God will support us, but our job is to believe. Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Again, a verse not written about marriage, but I believe is so true. If you can believe, wives, believe in your husband. Husbands, believe in yourself. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of marriage that you've given to us. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to take these words and figure out how to apply them. Lord, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe in our spouse because we have evidence that says contrary. It's hard to believe in ourselves because we messed up so much. But I'm praying this day, Lord, that you can build our belief in our spouses and our belief in ourselves so we can combat, combat this lie, Lord, and live the marriages and the lives and the families that you want for us. I pray this in the name of your Son, for the intercessions of all your saints. Here, as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us here today. You can find us on any social media platform, except for maybe MySpace, if that's even still around. We encourage you to share a message that inspired you with your family and friends. If there's anything we can do for you, visit our website and let us know how we can help or how we can pray for you. If you aren't receiving our weekly emails, what are you waiting for? Click the Stay Connected button on our website. Have an amazing, God-filled week.